Oh, Haley, it's our Friday night. It is our Friday night. For a minute, I was like, um, it's Sunday. But then I realized. <laughs> it's ours Friday. <laughs> I was like, I was like, mm, check a calendar. It I is know. definitely Sunday. But it is our Friday night because we have Monday off. Right. Except we are spending our Monday like other people spend their Mondays, which is working. Exactly. But we're Always. so excited. Very excited. Yeah. And I'm excited right now. I have a cat on my lap. I know. I wish you all, like Thriving we thought attention. we were kidding when we said that maybe the cats would be a part of it. I wonder if you can hear Linus. Oh, right you just startled him. Can you hear it? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to our third house and host. Now he wants our fourth little kitty host is too sleepy wires. to be bothered. Is expensive. Oh no, now you're rowdy. What have I done? <laughs> Off the lap. Sorry, baby. <laughs> Ooh, it lasted two seconds. Lasted. Into this. It lasted a good minute, but Ugh. of recording time, yes, very little. Yeah, that's uh, okay. Um, so. We were thinking for stories this week. Haley went on an adventure. Oh my god, I had a Seinfeld Seinfeld like full day <laughs> episode. Trying so currently I am working at Signature Theater, which is a wonderful off-Broadway theater. Mm-hmm. Fantastic they do fantastic shows. They get fantastic writers and everything to work there. And they just really take care of everybody. Wonderful place. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm working in the shop right now, um, and one of the things I was asked or tasked to do this weekend, or not this weekend, but beginning of the week when I came in was the show, the one-man show that we're doing, Fires in the Mirror, um, as of uh, still now, they have a gold tooth for one of the characters, mm-hmm. which means that we had to get a gold tooth made out of the actor's like teeth mold. <laughs> And it had to be made in, like, the weird, like, 47th Street jewelry store area. Right. The one that, like, you could sneeze while you're walking and just miss it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And so so I was like, cool, 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 cool. I'll go get that. Um, I tra- trapezed around, got lost because Google got confused. And then when I finally found the jewel the place or got up from the subway to the right address there was a parade <laughs> i still don't know what parade it is um it was columbus day but i thought that like columbus. america was against that it was a hundred percent not columbus day it was a international parade all and right like, go for them but i couldn't get to the jewelers and i just like looked at this policeman because he's like you can't walk here and i just looked at him i was like i have to get something and he was like oh, oh my god <laughs> And I like it was awful. And when I got there, it was real like the office is a wonderful office when you get inside. But I couldn't get inside because they closed because of the parade, which was why when I was there, I did not know it was like Jewelry Street because mm-hmm. I go Tuesday and all of a sudden diamonds and rubies and sapphires are in every window. And oh there's beautiful girls like beckoning you to like come and buy jewelry. And I'm like, I can't. I'm poor. <laughs> I can't buy you. I'm sorry. And then I get back up there and they're closed on Tuesday. Of course. And so so I was just like, 
I was like, why? And as this was happening, like I was trying to text my boss, uh, this sweet Asian woman who spoke no English was just trying to find the bathroom and she was motioning, like washing her hands. I was like, I'm not waiting for the restroom. I'm sorry. And she just kind of like followed me around because I think she thought I was looking for the restroom too. And that made my social anxiety just skyrocket. (laughs) Finally, this this sweet guard was like, ma'am, are you looking for the bathroom? And she's like, yes. And he, he led her to it. And I was just on the elevator like, I have no tooth. I was, I didn't help the sweet woman. Like, I just want to go home. Oh my gosh. We that, got it though. I mean, that is the one thing I miss about having a car. It feels like if things go for, you know, not, do not work out. At least with your car, you're like, cool. I'm only like 15 minutes away from wherever. Right. And, you and you're in suburbia. So you probably got a Target or a Walmart and therefore all your problems are right. solved. But I had, the other day, I was helping out with a show, and they're in tech. And so they needed, like, uh, um, women's feminine products and tights and this certain kind of disposable prop. And I had to go. I mean, it was all within a block of each other. I went to four different Mm -hmm. stores to get four different things. I bought one thing from each location. And I was like... If I had a Target with a liquor license, I would have gotten all of this in Absolutely. 10 minutes. And instead, it took me 40 minutes because, you know, go into a store, you have to find what you need. Then you have to wait in the lines to pay. And then you have to walk to the next place. I feel like it's the pro and con of doing theater in the city. Uh, like, the pros and cons are different from doing theater in a city setting to compare to, like... Um, my brain's shut off compared to like a smaller <laughs> setting, like a sure. rural area, because we have so many, like I never knew that there was a, a office specifically for like gold teeth or a gold tooth or whatever. Right. And it's like, and you know, that is like, custom. It's going to fit. It's going to be comfortable and, and they know quality. exactly yeah. what they're doing. You don't have that in like wish it off. Or right. if you do, I don't know about it, but it's, Maybe. it's, right. and so we're so lucky in New York to have like examples of that. And, but the con of it is that you are you are walking place to place to pay place. If you're doing returns for mm-hmm. anything, oh, it's a full day thing. Yep. It's a full day to even go to just like three stores mm-hmm. can be a full day thing depending on where those stores are adjacent to each other. Yeah. But in a rural place, you have a car. Sometimes your returns are like all next to each other. Like you went to a mall. Like a mall. Yeah. <laughs> I miss a mall. <laughs> Uh, we do love, we love where we live. We love to be blessed, booked and blessed, as the kids will say. Yes. Uh, but there are reasons to not love New York too. You know, it, it, it's interesting how it can seem so glamorous and exciting and your name up in lights and it's And then you're just spending three of your days looking for a gold tooth. (laughs) Oh man, when (laughs) Haley came home and she was like, she told me about her day. And then she goes, and I have to go back out tomorrow and get it. And I was like, oh, well, like, bummer. But, like, you'll get it. It'll be fine. And then she comes home that night, and she's like, they were close. And I was just like, all right, we can, we can't win right now, and that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> Try again another day. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Ugh. Well, I mean, that's what happens when you're putting up a show, and you just well, have to you just you spend get- so much time shopping and redoing and retrying. And, you know, I think that fits really well with, the guests that we're going to have on this week, which we are so excited we're about. We're so excited about. I feel a little bit out of our depth, but also, like, I know he is so lovely that he, I'm, like, not I, worried. I still can't believe. I'm very excited. I've read his play. I've read, like, uh, two or three of his plays. 
and Mm -hmm. I just can't wait to pick his brain. So we are very lucky. We're going to be interviewing um, Jesse Eisenberg um, and his plays Mm -hmm. and to ask him all about like his, how he goes from, I guess, pen to stage, you would say. (laughs) Page to stage. Page to stage. What would it be? It'd be pen to page and page to stage. Well, that's cute. (laughs) But we're not being that extra. But yeah, we want to ask, you know, so many people know him from his acting career, but Mm -hmm. his plays are phenomenal. They're amazing. They're so good. I was lucky enough to work on his most recent work, Happy Talk. I was the wig supervisor for that. That was starring Susan Sarandon and Marin Ireland. And it was... An incredible show, and unfortunately, Haley was working a show at the same time, so right she couldn't beside come. them. We in literally the same shared building. a hallway. We shared a hallway, different theaters, and she, you know, heard bits and pieces about it from me. I kept constantly telling her, I was like, "This is such a good show." She never got to see it, so I gave her my copy of the script the other day, and just seeing her reaction for the script and being like, "This is so good," it's- made. It's my it's my pear and punch. That's not a real saying, but I oh, made it up. All right. Um, <laughs> as it came out of my mouth, it's like, that's good. I mean, you're gibberish. Southern. That's what you do, right? You <laughs> yes. just make up sayings and <laughs> but, they stick. But, and it's, yeah, it was really wonderful. So I had to read another and it was mm-hmm. just as good. And so I'm very excited to pick his brain and for us to just talk to him. Yeah. It's really great. And it's so gracious of him. I know. To even be remotely interested. In I know. The <laughs> fact that. He was, I mean, and he is just going to exemplify it when I say that he is one of the kindest people I've met in the business. And he is so patient and so, like, invested in whenever you're talking. I, this was the first time I'd actually ever interacted with a writer, minus a show where one of the writers was one of my actors. Right. You know, different situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But that Jesse took the time to introduce himself to me and wanted to know what I did and if he ever needed anything I spoiler alert I did not do much on that show <laughs> it was an incredible experience to work with the people that I did and the wigs were stunning but they wore one wig the entire show I put the wigs on at half hour I waited 90 minutes and I took them off at the end of the show but your job is to make people go that yeah was a wig. and you so. know I was there if anything anything happened and nobody thought it was a wig which was real like a good mm-hmm. confidence boost to me and a big compliment to our wig designer Leah Lucas um and it's just but Jesse was so always what am, what words am I trying to say Mallory he was so invested in getting to know every single person that was involved in his project and if he needed to borrow a pair of scissors he always wanted to make sure he wasn't interrupting which again I was I was doing a coloring book backstage to stay attentive yet distracted. Right. It's like what my parents made me do when I was in church. They gave me the little bulletins to color on so that I was still paying attention, <laughs> but I was quiet and distracted. Oh, <laughs> um, oh bless And coloring. he was so worried about interrupting me, and I was so happy that he even was concerned with that. It was so kind of him, and... Gosh, I'm just so excited to talk We're, to him. I'm very excited. So excited. And, well, I, and I've always wanted to talk to play playwrights to about playwrights, stuff. Because we don't know. Ooh, we are going to be learning a lot. And mm-hmm. I know I've been like the little index glossary person, but like it's just going to be for me. It's not for you guys who are listening. It is for me because I know nothing about writing a play. Right. I know nothing about writing. Well, and you always want to pick, especially if you really enjoy a script, mm-hmm. you always want the chance to be able to be like, what were you thinking? Like, what, yeah. <laughs> what were you thinking? But it's just like, <laughs> I there's, it's so exciting to be able to um, talk to a playwright. And he's written 
um, a, a couple for, plays. A couple yeah. of plays. Yeah, it's not just like we found three to read um, because we're still busy humans, um, and we will bring up all of them. I'm sure. Yes. Later on. Um, but I, but we encourage you, especially, yeah. uh, especially after this interview, please go check them out. They are worth mm-hmm. reading. They're short, they're sweet. They're to the point They're Yep. They're simple, but they're deep and mm-hmm. it's just really nice. It's nice to see cause I feel, and this isn't harping on any like writers now, but a couple of plays I've worked on recently have been very, um, very interesting and very like in depth and weird things have happened and they've been kind of like a little like bending of reality or going from an extreme to another. And it was really refreshing to read a script that was just about people. Yeah. And oh, a normal, Jesse writes good people. He, I mean, he writes good people. He not necessarily so. like good moral people, which is also, I'm so excited to learn how he plays with morality. Yeah. So much. I mean, I was saying to you the other day, he does not write black and white, good and evil. He writes in the gray area. And I think that's brilliant because he writes characters that you don't necessarily area. like, but you are empathetic towards. But and not quite what, an antihero. Yeah. Right? And like, I don't even know how to pinpoint it. Hopefully he it's, will be able it's to. It's just real. It's yeah. just a real person with flaws. And it's and there's so many amazing writers out and mm-hmm. we're kind of gushing. But it's for me, for someone that to not harp on his acting, but mm-hmm. to see someone who plays these sweet little nerdy boys. <laughs> right. And, you know, our favorite zombie hunter. <laughs> it's so wild to see like inside his mind and Mm -hmm. to see like this come out and be like this is a really smart intelligent very kind human being Mm -hmm. and i just can't i can't wait it's really exciting for him to be our friends and this also with writing it's such a kind of a weird imbalance because it is technical theater still Mm -hmm. but it's so much about the building block of the show like you can't you can't have a show without a script. You can't have a show without a script. Even if it's a minimalistic show that doesn't really mean anything as choreography, there's got to be some kind of plot. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of like the bible of every story is a script. And so <laughs> right. I mean, I mean you're not wrong. We're being a little religious on the show today. <laughs> I think I think we've gotten religious on every show. I'm so sorry. Ba 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 do. But um yeah, it's just I'm so excited to kind of talk to somebody about their script and, and about where learn. and it's something that's been like on or on and off broadway it's yeah something that's been realized it's a like big this. caliber i mean it yeah it was a big deal it's kind of a big yeah. deal and we're gonna toot his horn because he's probably gonna be too humbled to do it himself yeah so without further ado i'm sure you're all excited too you're probably like stop talking stop talking get to the good that cat off your lap and do an interview <laughs> <laughs> i hope you guys enjoy listening to our interview with jesse eisenberg yeah Jesse, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. I want to talk about how did you get into writing? Um, I started writing like uh, probably jokes, like kind of one-liner jokes when I was about like 14 years old. I would think of jokes and I would tell them to my friends and I would write them on post-it notes and kind of put them in a drawer. And then (laughs) I started acting when I was like 16, 17, Mm -hmm. 18. I was in a movie when I was 18. And once I started acting in movies, I thought, well, I could just write these. And at the time, there were like Adam Sandler and Ben Stiller comedies where it was like the kind of hapless male protagonist Mm -hmm. who then falls in love and learns something about himself. And so I wrote a series of things like those when I was 18, 19, 20, 21. And I like got optioned by companies in Los Angeles. And I had like some 
I'm using air quotes, which you can't see on a podcast, <laughs> success. And why I'm using air quotes is because I could tell the movies were never going to get made. I was yeah. just writing them. I was I, I was just writing them kind of for me, and then they would get optioned, but I could tell nothing was ever going to happen. They would just sit in this kind of what they call development, H-E-L-L. Can, can, I, can, I, can, yeah. I, can I spell curses? Um, okay. <laughs> Does that count? Um, I, I absolutely I mean, count. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, anyway, um, that's what they call it in Hollywood where, you know, basically a movie is never going to get made, but it's also not getting – also, they're not telling the people who wrote it that it's not going to get made. So it just sits that's, in this purgatory. Oh, that's yeah. wild. And then I – was acting in a play, and but I had always done theater. I always yeah. done like community theater growing up, so I always liked theater. But I never thought to write it because playwriting seemed to me something that had already happened. You know, whether it be Shakespeare or you know Beckett or yeah. Arthur Miller, playwriting to me seemed like something that was a relic. You know, um, and in some ways it has, in the sense that, and in some ways I was right in the sense that playwriting used to be thought of a little differently than it is now. But anyway, uh, maybe there's a bit of a renaissance now. But anyway, that's not for me to figure out. But anyway, <laughs> I, so, I'd always, but so I never considered to write, write plays, especially because all the plays I was acting in were by people who were dead. And so um, then I was in a play at the Atlantic Theater Company called Scarcity by Lucy Thurber. And... Um, uh, I was and and she it was so modern and interesting and yeah, she was cool, cool and we had a lot in common and I thought wow maybe I should do this you know this yeah. seemed like so much more exciting and um, I saw that she was able to write things that were personal to her and she wasn't trying to like pander to an audience like I was trying to do with my yeah. screenplays and so then I started writing plays and I immediately found a better um, just a better medium for my work I met with theater producers who didn't want to do my play but they didn't ask me to change it to make it more like accessible or yeah. pandering or mass marketable. So I just much preferred the medium of theater and since then that's what I've mainly been doing. I love that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I mean we Mallory worked on Happy Talk with you, which is mm -hmm. how which is how we know you. And I was it's funny cuz I was in the theater right beside you I was doing Curse of the Starving Class. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was with the lamb all the time. Uh, we talk about the lamb yes. way too much. <laughs> Annie the Lamb. Annie, Annie the Lamb. Annie Lammy. My, oh, I, biggest I, diva I've ever worked with. My uh, son is his biggest fan. <laughs> but what it, it was so funny to hear the sound cues for Happy Talk because in this play there's a bunch of sound, not sound and music, but South Pacific. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of those musicals mm -hmm. um, references. And I just kept thinking, like, man, they're just having such a good time over there at Happy Talk, <laughs> singing Valley High. And then I right. read it. Yeah. And it was so interesting because your characters were very empathetic but not necessarily good people yeah, yeah and yeah. i just wasn't expecting that yeah when i read it i literally texted her and i went yo this is dark yeah yeah and yeah. i All loved caps. it All and caps. i nice. loved it <laughs> nice. i was like this is i and she kept telling me she's like you would really like it i was like yeah you know and i'm friends with nicole she was the oh, asm cool. on that mm -hmm. and she said you know i was like yeah jesse's great and i was just like i just was not expecting something like that and it was a story that was simple once you know it's a in one setting right. there's not many characters yet there's so much happening and i just like where do you get your inspiration for something like that well i'm partly inspired by the restrictions of theater like you mm -hmm. say it's, it was one set there's like four scenes three scenes in it actually yeah. um you know it's i think when we you know it's written to be like kind of two hours so it's you know two hours and three scenes to me i love feeling like um well what would happen in these rooms uh and and these times um and when I say these times, I mean like in this limited amount of time, like um, you know, over, over the course of a week or something, or over the course of a night, what would happen? Um, it kind of forces you to 
think in kind of very specific dramatic terms about all the things that were leading up to this point so that in one night all of these things could yeah. happen and it's not too coincidental and it's not contrived but actually it's realistic and authentic to what these people have been experiencing. Um, in terms of like main inspiration, uh, this is my fourth play and they've all started the same way which is I think of a character, usually it's kind of semi-inspired by somebody I know mm -hmm. or a kind of quirk in a person um, and starting out writing dialogue from that character's perspective. So in this play, it was this woman, she's a 60 year old woman, Susan Sarandon played the part. Mm -hmm. She's, uh, and I was thinking of this woman whose life is, has become so lonely um, that uh, she develops this just this kind of horrible passive aggressive way of behaving yes. and ends up kind of like destroying a person's life in the process. But I kind of am thinking of like a character that entertains me and by entertaining me, I mean somebody that could make realistically make jokes. They're not a comedian, or they're mm -hmm. not even considered a funny person. But an audience would find them funny. And the yes. character, in the case of that character, she's a narcissist, mm -hmm. and we find her funny because we're laughing at somebody who's unaware and self-indulgent. And then somebody who also has some kind of uh, emotional need, you know, that's not being met. And so you can have a mixture of comedy and drama in a show without it feeling like it's about comedians, or without it feeling like it's contrived drama. Right, yeah, it didn't feel, it just felt so natural. Oh, and I really, I really appreciated that. Oh, I felt, I've, and this isn't anything against playwrights now, but just there's been plays I've worked on, I've been very lucky with new playwrights, but they're all very much trying to punch at something mm -hmm. and be like, this is who we are, this is some reality bending. And it was so nice to see a successful show that was just about people. Mm. And, and like, and I know writers who do that, but it was just like, I think some people are so afraid that their play has to be something different original doesn't it's mm. just like what makes a good play is about the people and i yes. feel like your plays are very good examples of just people oh well thank you you're very nice to say that i think part of that comes from my background as an actor i hate acting in things where there's some kind of um kitschy technical thing that i have yeah. to account for or um or where the character does something out of character because it's cool or something. Mm -hmm. I hate that stuff as an actor you just want to be in things where there are long scenes emotional emotional beats that's all you want and so all my writing is kind of like yeah pared down people you know people and full characters I never put a character in there who's like a functionary because yeah. I've acted in plays like that where there's a character who uh, comes on for a line delivers a message and leaves and I've done that thing before and so I hate it so every character I write in a play has a full thing not that it's not that all the parts are equal but or you know equal in size yeah. or whatever but that everybody's in at least two scenes you know they have a yeah. beginning and an end in their characters because I've done the other part. So, and um, yeah, and I think just, and maybe this is, uh, could be helpful to, or to listeners, I mean, actually, well, not helpful <laughs> to listeners, but it could explain, it could explain the thing you're asking, yeah. which is that um, I think I don't have the, I don't, because I'm a movie actor, I don't have to like, I don't have to kind of like, I can get attention for my scripts and I have an advantage yeah. of getting attention for my scripts so it's possible I don't have to kind of put in some flashy crutch is what I would call yes. it um, in order to get attention for it because um, A, I could kind of act in my things and mm -hmm. it brings a kind of level of attention to it. So I have an unfair advantage when it comes to playwriting but I try to take advantage of it in a good way which is right. like writing just characters and writing things. What, what what ends up happening is that actors like to do my thing. So like the first play I wrote when I was like 21, Vanessa Redgrave ended up playing the lead character and it mm -hmm. was a crazy thing, but it was coming, I mean, it was, that's unusual, but it was because I, um, 
I'm coming at it from the place of an actor, so I yeah. know what I think I know what actors want to do, and I know what actors like to do, um, and it's often not the case that they like to do things that are cool looking to an audience. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. And I think most, and just to touch up on that, I just want like young writers to know that like if you have an idea, just write it. It doesn't have to be flashy. Let's just like write it out, get it read, like mm-hmm. get it read. Just I think that's the best because I love that you said that you've done other plays, and even though they're in a certain purgatory, you wrote. Right. And oh, you yeah. learned from it. And oh, so, yeah. and I mean, I used to write and I stopped because I used to get so in my head about it. And mm-hmm. I think that's just what you have to do is you just have to write. Yes. And you don't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be the next like Hunger Games or Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. It just needs to be something from you, passionate. Exactly. In fact, I think what you should do is aim to not do the Hunger Game thing. You know, you should actually aim yeah. as low as possible because <laughs> as, if you aim low, and what I mean by low is like ambi- low ambitions. Write the most personal, specific thing you could possibly think mm-hmm. of. And then, um, as opposed to trying to, you know, work backwards and saying, you know, this has to be accessible to this demographic. Yeah. It just never works. Yeah. And how do you, I mean, we've talked about your pieces getting all the way to fruition, but how does, how do you even start that? So you've got your piece, mm-hmm. be it your first pancake, your first draft, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then what do you do with it? How do you approach other people about it? What kind of input do you get so that it does take those next baby steps into a full-blown production? Okay, cool, yeah. So um, the first play I wrote, as I was telling you, I was like 21 years old. I wrote this play. It was about a 75-year-old woman and her 25-year-old uh, second cousin. So, um, And I, I did... Okay, so what did I do? Let's see. I... First, I tried to get an actress in it. The main character was Polish, and so I found this woman... Elżbieta Chazewska. She's people would know her uh, if you look her up, but um, she's passed away now. Um, and uh, let's see, I found her through her agency, and I said, "Would you do a reading with me somewhere?" Mm-hmm. And she came over to my house and smoked four packs of cigarettes yes. and yes. Uh, in my studio apartment, <laughs> and um, we rehearsed the play and everything. Lived. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then we got this. Uh, well, um, and then um, we. Um, we got a reading at some theater company, then they rejected it, then I asked her to do another reading, they rejected it from there. I just would basically, uh, you know, I guess like pound the pavement, is that what yeah. they call it? Pound yeah. the pavement? Yeah. yeah, I don't know if I, I mean, I had an acting agent and everything, but no one thought of me as a playwright, so it was, sure. I was kind of starting at square one, I guess. I had an acting agent, so it was helpful, but um, I would basically just beg theater companies to do readings of mm-hmm. my play. And by the time I was, I'm not joking, by the time I was 27, uh, the play took six years to get on. Uh, in the meantime, Elzbieta died, and Vanessa Redgrave signed on to the play. It was just this weird circumstance. But basically, um, yeah, I just was do like readings all over. Actually, let me let me. Uh, there's a, there's a there's a there's a side story here, which is that I did readings all over. The the no one wanted to do this show. Um, I was given like really condescending horrible notes and by producers you know telling me you know why would you write something I mean I I experienced the worst of it but I believed in the show I mean I I thought it was great and so I disregarded their thoughts even though it made me feel bad Um, this is something that writers have to do you know you Mm -hmm. you're gonna be told no by a thousand people you're gonna Mm -hmm. be told your thing is terrible by a thousand people but one person's gonna like it now if you're told no by everybody over the course of 20 years you know maybe you should think about a different job but if you really (laughs) 
little bit of time is but a little bit of time yeah. and an appropriate yeah. amount of arrogance you know you have to have some kind of arrogance because you're believing in something that doesn't exist no one's asking you to write that thing no one's asking you to perform it no one's asking you to give it to them no one's asking you to read it so you have to have a little bit of kind of arrogance but anyway the side story is this um uh i in that in that time that that play was not getting done i just wrote a million other things i wrote another play called ascension and i gave it to um Lucy Thurber, who thought it was really funny, and she gave it to David Van Asselt, who was the head of the Rattlestick Theater Company. Okay. Oh, okay. Lucy Thurber was the writer who did that play that I was acting in, yeah. Scarcity at the Atlantic. Um, and sh- and he thought it was funny, and he said, "Can we do a reading of this?" And the reading was so great because it was a comedy. Readings of comedies where there are one-liners are work, work really, really well mm-hmm. in a reading. Sometimes they work less well as a performance. You know, yeah. sometimes drama works better, but they don't translate in readings. So we did this reading at the Rattlestick Theater and it was so great that we that they said I'd like we'd like to do this show. And so I ended up doing that play first. Uh, um, and anyway, it just gets back to kind of what you're saying Haley, yeah. which is that um, if you just continue to write because the I think mistake people generally make as writers, I see this all the time. My wife teaches um, a lot of students um, in the arts. Um, and the mistake I see people make is they write one thing and they are, and, and they and it comes out great and then they're worried they can never do that again so right. they just don't do anything again. Mm-hmm. And the truth is the exact opposite. If you did something great, it means you have a skill set and you could do it again and you have to do it again. You know, it's like actors go on a thousand auditions before they get a part. You really do have to write a lot of things before one gets on. Mm-hmm. The, unlike an actor though, after their first thing gets on, you can go back to your drawer and say, right. hey, I have these other things too, which is oh, what I did. Oh, okay, great. Was the Polish play that you were talking about the revisionist? Revisionist, yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm also an actor, so you know, you, uh, you, know, uh, you know, actors, you know, you audition for a thousand things and you don't get the parts and that's incredibly discouraging. The difference with writing is, and this is what's so wonderful about writing and empowering, is that you, it, no one else is writing the script that you wrote. You know, you don't have to, you, that's still yours, you still did it. You mm-hmm. can, you right. know, share it with your friends and enjoy it and enjoy the process of it. And if you're, what's happening? I'm there? just like you're banging, banging, banging all over the table. I'm just a mess, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, then, so what you do is you go back into your drawer and, you know, so I'm also writing uh, the, 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 the thing I'm, well, okay, we can talk about that later. Okay. okay. <laughs> Um, how long does it take you? Because I think that's another thing that discourages people is that they write a draft and they're like, this is perfect. And then people give them notes and that mm-hmm. discourages them. How many drafts do you go through before it actually like becomes to the reading or goes to the stage? Mm-hmm. Um, I hate rewriting. I think it never, <laughs> not because I don't like the work of it. I don't really care about that. The, what I don't like about it is that when I'm writing a play, I'm in, I'm experiencing the emotions of it as an actor. Yeah. And I'm, I, I, I cannot re-harness those emotions. Uh, my best writing has come from what I would call my unconscious mind, which is to say uh, a mind that's not logically thinking out, well, if I, uh, how X character would behave in X situation. Yeah. No, I'm thinking about it from within the character. I know that sounds pretentious and indulgent. No, it, and no, no, it makes it sense. Empathetic. I, empathetic, that's yeah, right. And right. I cannot get back to it when I'm asked, oh, well, well, no, you rewrite this. It's never good. I've done it for all my yeah. plays. I've rewritten, and every time I watch the play, the parts that I don't like about it are the only the parts that are rewritten. Um, you know, in uh, Happy Talk was the only time I had a better scene. The play used to end in a different way. Uh, uh, well, I don't want to. Well, it doesn't matter if I give it away. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> it's also like a very 
it's an ending that doesn't feel like an ending. It feels, n- but not like a cliffhanger. It's just unfinished in the like, coolest ending. way, like a yeah. right, right, like yes. a dissonant chord, like just ending on dissonance. Yes. And you're like, yeah, like you I need know, more, but I right. don't because I know what happened. Yeah, it's yeah, like exactly. you were just kind of put in this story, and then it's like, all right, well, bye. You don't get to see. Yeah. Well, it's like a tragic. Window it's, it's a tragic, a tragic ending. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she she destroys her life at the end. Yeah, um, but um, I did a little rewriting on that because. Well, but but it was it came from me. It came from it came. Oh, so what I would say in terms of yes, people listening to it is not that resist rewriting. It's that the rewriting should come from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, people will give notes, and it's not the note that you should take, but it's kind of the spirit of the note. So, mm-hmm. for example, uh, in the happy talk, there was all these people were saying, well, why does uh, it used to, used to be that it ends with she has this really nice scene with her husband, and I had this kind of idea that. But, but I had this idea that she's reconciling with her husband in a nice way, and people would give notes about him, and they what they were not, but uh, the but I, what I ended up writing was not what they were asking me to do, but something that addressed the note from a different angle, and okay. it's because it came from me. I think that's the mistake people make when they're when they're taking notes is they kind of take it literally to to appease the person who's right. saying yes or no, I'm mm-hmm. going to produce your thing or not, instead of trying to understand you know if there's a, a few people who are giving the same note, understand where it's coming from and. If it comes from you, I think it's good. The, the problem is, you know, the, the problem with writing is, you know, you're often beholden to a theater company to produce yeah. your thing, and so you kind of are trying to appease them with notes, and you end up just just putting band-aids on things to right. get to them. And then an audience picks up on that because it feels like there's something inauthentic about it. That's my feeling on it. So I, don't, so I like doing it when it comes from me, and I have a good No, idea. I think that's a good note because I think so much when you get that is that you're discouraged. Mm-hmm. And that, exactly, yeah. and it's like, well, this came from – because it's personal. Yeah. It's very personal. And I love, I love that that's such a good thing to be like, find your way around the note and still make it, like, about you. Still make mm-hmm. it your play. This is just a note that look at it this angle. Yes. Kind of way, instead of being like this was trash. Because right. at Which the end of the day, it's your name. It's that's your name. Like, yeah. By Jesse Eisenberg, yeah. not by everybody else's opinions. That's yeah. right. Yeah. You know? Especially in theater, like in movies, um, writers rewrite all the time, and it's just oh, known. Co-writers and of course. all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and half the writers who wrote the movie are not even credited uh, because they didn't write enough to get the credit. You know, but playwriting I'm, is different. Whoa. Playwriting is really associated with the yeah, writer. with right. the one writer. Yeah. Um, Actually, speaking of notes and stuff, like from people, you work. So when you write, you're in the room with a director and actor, mm-hmm. and they also are reading this and they're taking it from their perspective. And mm-hmm. what is it like collaborating like that? Well, um, a few things come to mind. Um, what what I do as an actor in stuff I haven't written is I don't immediately try to rewrite something. I try to make it if something doesn't feel exactly right or doesn't mm-hmm. feel great or doesn't feel like it's working out or whatever. My feeling always is like, well, the actor's job, and I'm including myself in this, the actor's job is to try their best using their skill set to make it work. You know, no script is perfect. The best mm-hmm. scripts aren't perfect. The best scripts have little flaws here and there, characters mm-hmm. doing things that are 1% out of character in order to advance the plot, as it's normal. But the actor's job, uh, I always find, and I, I think about this from, from, for myself, is not to immediately give the writer notes and ask for changes. The, my job as an actor is, well, how can I use my skill set to try to make to try to make this thing work. Right. We're all in this together. That's what I think. So I like actors who do the same with me. You know, if they're acting in my play, let me just try to make this work. For, and then over the course of, you know, a few days of rehearsal, if the thing is not working, then I as a writer am open-minded enough to try to be able to fix or help or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I really love actors who really try that. Um, the, in um, 
uh, this last play, Happy Talk, is my first play I wasn't acting in, and mm -hmm. so um, I was nervous that maybe that would be the case, that people would kind of be asking me for changes all the time, as opposed to when I'm acting in something and we're a little more immersed. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, they were they were great. They were great, um, you know, and uh, uh, Marin Ireland was one of the actors in it, um, and she uh, does a ton of new plays, and so I would kind of always ask her, you know, like, um, wh wh at what point would would you recommend I change something? She's like, no, no, just sit with it for a minute, sit with it for a minute. Because she's done a lot of new plays and she's a great actress and she mm -hmm. kind of, I would say, gave me some confidence in terms of thinking about um, letting her take it for a yeah. little bit as an actor. Um, well, yeah. and new works are so hard because you're in the room, you know, it, it kind of grows and grows and grows. Right. It starts so small of just like you, your director, and your actors. Mm -hmm. They're those opinions. And then you add the variables of like, designers having opinions and the mm -hmm. design things that they implement like she might be in a dress and all of a sudden you're like oh that line or that moment means something different to me now that I didn't see before so then it changes then and then you get out of tech into previews and you have the biggest variable which is an audience right. like every night it's crazy because in a movie everybody sees the exact same performance and nobody gets a say right. nothing right. changes no, about yeah. whoever sees it's it it's like you know? this right. is recorded we're yeah. done Right. And with a play, it's so interesting to hear, like, every night, especially in Happy Talk, because it was such a small space, and I would hear especially Marin and Susan and Teddy talking, and they'd be like, oh, this line didn't land, and the audience isn't engaged, or like, and it was interesting to always only hear the show, because there was no way backstage for us to see it at all. Right. And I was always like, no, they sound like, like, to me, I can only hear if they're in a listening audience or an engaged audience. Mm -hmm. And it, it's got to be so hard and so hard on you where you're like, this line landed for three nights in a row, mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden it's like crickets. And yep. is it's, that a hard moment for you when you're sitting the worst thing. Yeah. among <laughs> the audience? Yeah, you're sitting among the audience and you're like, you're like I love this yeah, moment, yeah, and nobody reacts to the moment the way you want to. Yeah. Do you find audience reactions kind of playing into you? Or it's do you strange. Like, all my plays are, like, comic, and so... Um, so they're not like straight comedies, but like mm -hmm. you're you get used to laughs. There's like one liners in it, and so you expect mm -hmm. it, you know you expect it, and that it's kind of it's unnerving. But what I find when I'm watching a play, one that I'm not in, involved with, is sometimes I enjoy a play most when I'm not laughing at all. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but as an actor, you just don't ha you don't remember that you don't you want remember that right. track. Yeah, you want yeah. to just know you know they're there and then they're in it and mm -hmm. they're engaged. Yeah, and so. Yeah, it's frustrating. I really couldn't really, I couldn't really watch the show, frankly. It was really hard for me to watch it because, um, yeah, I would kind of just become obsessive with that. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, I'd kind of just become obsessive with the audience. Yeah. yeah. I just, it was not an enjoyable experience for me to go there yeah. every night. Well, <laughs> and sometimes there's an audience, like, I'm not a quiet audience member. No. But I was, I was <laughs> just going to say, if you put Haley and I, like, just oh, really? Haley and I in a room in an audience, I will sit there and not make a sound. I mm -hmm. won't smile. I try really hard to not sit where the audience can see me or hear me because I sit there stone-faced because I'm hard of hearing and I want to catch everything. <laughs> and I actually get really frustrated with, like, talkative people or noisy people. And then there's Haley, yeah. who is the best, like, the I audience just, member that anybody wants because she really? reacts so... You're a so critic's night audience. Member. I, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my I God. She's not, she's not a critic. She is just, like, No, no, critic's reacting. night audience. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just, there on, I just, oh, yeah. yeah. I just come, I just am immersed. You should sell your services to these theater <laughs> yeah, companies. I should. <laughs> I mean, even, I bet when you read Happy Talk and you got to that bait and switch, I bet you went, wait, what? Oh, I right. made a fake. I was, like, in a corner, like, 
Is you that know. Why yeah. You, that's why you text and all Yeah, caps. I went, yo! All caps, like, three different text she messages. She has to mirror her. I have to, like, yeah. So we are the total, we are either a nightmare or, like, a blessing. But, but now you don't not enjoy the thing. No, no and that was what I told Haley. I was, from the get-go, I was like, I enjoyed it so much. And sitting in the design room, I told the actresses this, like, our first or second day of tech, and I was like, I tried to sit there and be so quiet because it was one of the few shows that I really wanted to react to. Oh. But none of the other designers were reacting. So I was like, okay, I'm going to sit here quiet and serious yeah. and professional and not yeah, react yeah, yeah. to all these moments because I don't yeah. want to throw you off. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I like gasp. I laugh. I cry at a drop of the hat. Like, yeah. I just like, it's like I am in it. And then I'm like, all right, that was great. Yeah. Is and that then an, tell. That an Most people thing? think I hate I know. I just think okay. like, I just just immediately it happens and I'm just there. Like in any movie, any really? show. TV show. I, yeah. Yeah. Do you ever walk out thinking something was terrible? Oh, yeah, oh, but yeah. I'm still okay. into it. I'm like <laughs> angry about yeah. it. I'm oh, angry at how oh. bad it was. Oh, it, yeah. It, like I have like, I'm very emotional about everything and I'm like, all right, there it is. Like, oh, really? Yes. Oh, very interesting. <laughs> but the whole point I brought that Sorry. up is yep. that, no, it's fine. Uh, it's a fun little segue. Um, the reason I brought that up is that it's so hard when an audience member is quiet because as an actor and like even as a writer you're like oh but you never know if they're enjoying maybe it maybe they're just engaged like, yeah that's the thing. this happens it's all the time all of yeah this happens yeah. all the time I, we would do plays and it'd be like uh, you know people would be hysterically laughing and you know uh, 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 but yet they would they wouldn't stand up at the end for example which mm -hmm. is another gauge of yeah. their, their appreciation for it. um and sometimes you'd have these dead quiet shows and people would come back and say this is the greatest thing you know yeah, you can right. the problem is you, you you know this logically to be true and yet when you're in a play there's something it's about just getting sucks. some yeah. live reaction yeah. that's it's like helpful. if there's no noise and they're not enjoying mm -hmm. it and sometimes yeah. you just like you or you're just sitting there, there. Yeah. yeah that's like a part of our job is to be like an actor fluffer because sometimes they come back and you're like that was awful, blah, blah, blah. And, like, I am always actively listening to the show mm. so that when I know they're going to say, oh, that was wrong, how did that sound, mm. that moment, um, I could be like, no, like, here's what I heard. And when they say it, I would never be like, like, if I thought it sounded crappy, I'd be like, yeah, awful, right. no. no, no, no. <laughs> um, it only but it's always like, we're oh, encouraging. you did that differently. Or even just saying, hey, I recognize that you tried something different tonight. And, oh, like, I that? hear it. Yeah, that's because so it's, nice. it's not a positive or a negative, but it's just recognizing no, that I'm so listening. Nice. Yeah. I don't know people who do that. Yeah. That's really nice of you. Well, and we can <laughs> yeah. a lot of times over the overhead mics, we can hear a lot more audience reaction than mm -hmm. they can. Like the, of course. You know, yeah. Right. Um, so Good we point. can hear, like, I remember in Happy Talk, the chittering that they could not hear, but, like, you would hear with the audience being like, oh, my God, what? And yeah, they yeah. couldn't that's hear that, me. but we could, yes. <laughs> it yeah, was exactly. me. Haley was just what? all yeah, over yeah, 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 exactly. That's funny. And yeah, it's it's part of our job is to be like you're doing great. We hear what you're doing because right. it is it's a vulnerable moment to yes, coming put off stage. your oh, words yeah. and your actions, and being like, ooh, hope they liked it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's very vulnerable. At least we have their money. Yeah, at least. <laughs> especially in nonprofit theater, you walk uh, off. Yes, oh, yeah. and you're like, yeah. at least we got that dough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but. So speaking about like so actors creating it, what is it like though to see it all come alive? Like whether it's successful or not, whether the audience member reacts or not, like you literally wrote this down in your head, mm -hmm. and then year, it could be years, months later, all of a sudden it's a and real then Susan thing. Sarandon. Yeah, and then it's Susan. Your words. It's Susan. Susan's up there just being being I, Susan. Like I am probably not a good person to ask because I'm not like a very happy person, and oh, so well. <laughs> so I feel. One of two things. One of if if it one and and so like I, if it's hard to describe. Like um, <laughs> it's hard to describe because it's just a very psychologically weird thing to think. Yeah. Which is that like I feel really um, I beat myself up a lot. So it'd be like uh, it, it, it if 
if it's going well, I feel guilty that I'm asking them to do this and coming down. <laughs> if it's not going well, I think I'm terrible. Um, like, I'll tell you the one moment, the one moment I had that was like kind of a bit surreal was like the first play I did was at Rattlestick Theater. Um, it played at Cherry Lane Theater, actually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I used to go down, I went up into that theater like, you know, a dozen times before mm-hmm. that and watching other plays. And when I saw like they were bu- putting in the set of the play, it was kind of like a shocking thing. Cause yeah. it was the first thing that was like a waste of wood. Like, you know what I mean? It was like a real thing that had nothing to do with the play. It was like, this was real wood coming in and this was a real couch. Uh-huh. It wasn't just like people talking about it right. you know, or, or acting it. Mm-hmm. It was like, there were people who didn't read the script who have you know have a who have a have a tool belt we right. were there so that was different because it was such an unusual uh, un- it was a surprising aspect of it that right. i never thought about that was unusual with actors i generally feel like with happy talk i felt kind of so guilty that they were there every night the actors <laughs> doing it just because like <laughs> it's so exhausting it's so yeah, taxing it's very true and like i wrote it in a bedroom somewhere a year before that it just felt like I just felt like I was burdening them so much. That's funny because as an actor, I never feel that way when I'm acting in somebody's thing. I'm so grateful that they wrote this thing that I could be in. So I, I don't, I don't know why I have this horrible thought That's because I don't feel it myself as an actor. But, but I had this feeling like, I, like I was just burdening them. I don't know. So that's, <laughs> that's really so endearing. mostly it's kind of um, <laughs> I'm just hoping, hoping, hoping it's going to be good. I don't ever have the feeling of being you know, satisfied or, like, feeling confident or, like, validated. Right. I just don't have those feelings in me ever. So so that's not, so that, that's never, so that's not what I feel when I have, like, the greatest actor, Susan Sarandon, standing and doing it. I never feel like, well, I made it. I just feel like, oh. You're like, oh, no. Well, that's I'm probably burning. good. That would, like, her, yeah. that would create a stagnancy of, like, I made it, I'm done, cool. And you wouldn't be growing, you wouldn't be learning. I suppose so, but I also way. never enjoy it. Like, oh, yeah, right. I, I can't, I can't come to, I can't, I have trouble, like, kind of, yeah, I have trouble kind of enjoying it. The only times I've ever really enjoyed stuff is like if I'm acting in it mm-hmm. and we have a good show, then I enjoy it for about 20 minutes after the show and I usually eat a cupcake and then I can't sleep. And so, then <laughs> so this is what I used to do. I was in England and I would be doing, we did the, my last show in the West End and I would I would act in it and I would feel so uh, great after the show that yeah. I would go eat a Napoleon. I don't know if you know what a Napoleon, mm-hmm. Google Napoleon, it's delicious. And, um, <laughs> and I would eat it after the show and then I wouldn't sleep and then I'd have a bad day after. And... So then, but then the so next day I wouldn't eat it. Vicious cycle. Vicious cycle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so uh, this was that. So the, anyway, but I. Um, but so I never really kind of yeah feel like the confidence of it. But I suppose Mallory, what you're saying is true, which is that in some way it kind of builds. Oh damn, a, that does look good. It's amazing. Uh, it's sorry, amazing. I had to know. Um, yeah, it has the it has the icing on top. It has these kind of this doughy yeah. thing, this almost phyllo dough thing, and then cream. Um, but I think what you're saying is true, and maybe it kind of breeds if you're never fully satisfied. Maybe it keeps you working. I don't know. I think a therapist might say, "Well, that's a terrible trade-off." You know, <laughs> okay, so you keep working, but you're miserable. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is. Well, I it seems I don't like either. you have more joy of submersing yourself in the work you do. Yes, that's the only time I'm, I like it. I'm like you I, love writing, but you like being a part of your own yes, work. Yes, exactly, exactly. That's exactly it. That's precisely yeah. it. I like doing as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I, I always say the, the only time I ever enjoyed hanging out with a friend was when I was helping him move because I was like doing something productive with him. You know, I can't sit around and talk to a friend. I just feel like it's a waste. I'm writing, I, I write every day at the library um, uh-huh. and uh, I sit next to a guy, a friend of mine, Jim, who, who, who writes his own stuff. So we write 
different things, but we sit uh-huh. next to each other every day. So I'm doing it from you know 12 to 6 today. And I, that's what I do every day. Um, and uh, we get along quite well b- right. because we're both there working. Working, yeah. Yeah, I have trouble kind of just go to a diner. I wouldn't even know what to talk about. But anyway, so and I try to write every day. I write every day pretty much like 12 to 6 if I'm not working on a movie. Or something. I mean, it's awesome. like working out. It's keeping a muscle. You have to. You yeah. have to. You have to find other things to write. This is the thing I tell every writing student that I uh, work with um, through my wife's organization. Uh, which is that tr- you can write a million different things. If you're writing an email, it's great. If you're writing a blog post, it's great. Don't write one big budget movie and expect you to... Even I the, think that's yeah. the biggest thing that we have. Yes. So many young artists, and I would even say young kids, who are like, I have to do this this thing that's going to get me big. And it's like, no, you have to do a bunch of little things. And you have to fail. Mm-hmm. And exactly. you have to kind of hate... And you have to hate something too and like fix it to make that one good thing exactly right that's exactly right and and don't be precious about your stuff like you know put everything you have on YouTube you know I know kids were saving their things because they wanted to be only directed by Steven Spielberg it just doesn't happen it just doesn't happen that way um I um I it's also a bit generational and I don't want to sound like an older person no, here but it's a bit generational because I didn't grow up with like YouTube or mm-hmm. video cameras we couldn't I couldn't afford a camera when I was 18 right. yeah um in fact, I desperately wanted to buy one. It was like twenty two hundred dollars. It was the Sony PDX one fifty or whatever. Some right. Thing. It's like I had you have that huge idea. And you're like I'm gonna do this, and you see the price on something. You're like I'm fine. There's no way. Yeah. There's no <laughs> I'm way. I'm fine. And where would normal. I edit it? Who right. Would I, right. Who would the whole? You know. Anyway, so it's Ugh. a bit of a generational thing. And there's a great aspect to the generational thing, which is that you can make anything you want, and if exactly. it's great, it will it it will be seen. It mm-hmm. will be seen. Because yeah. it'll be good enough. But the downside is people feel like they have to become like popular overnight because it does happen to some people it does sure. and it's misleading frankly it, it doesn't is. happen to it it doesn't it's not exactly the common experience no and even even the people who are popular on youtube now to get on like this field that we're on it took them forever like a lot of them who have so many subscribers have been on youtube for 10 12 years mm. which i can't fathom. is that right no I yeah oh yeah like some of the biggest names have been doing it like are some of the first where people were like what are you doing you're crazy filming this in your basement and oh, i think right? it's okay. it's interesting from a play perspective, I've been learning mm-hmm. more about, because we have different friends and different levels of writing shows. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> and um, it's just interesting to be like, oh, they got a reading produced, like, Haley is designing a cost, uh, costume designing for a reading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's very small, but it's still something. And you see all these things that, like, even Hamilton came out of, like, a small people black at, box theater. Yeah, maybe not Hamilton, but in the Heights. Yeah. came out of that like itty bitty black box theater mm-hmm. and you have to go through those bigger and bigger iterations and I think right. also people who aren't living in New York living in the theater world don't realize the quality of shows that are off Broadway and off off Broadway oh that's exactly right yeah. you know and we I that mean Haley and exactly I mostly right. work off Broadway and I am so proud of every piece I've worked on and like mind blown at the yeah, people I've exactly worked it. with you know and everybody just thinks Broadway and they don't realize that success happens in like just small, just like mm-hmm. having it read is a success in itself because right. you did it. You so, got something together and it got written and it was alive mm-hmm. that for is a day. That is such a great insight. It's such a great insight to say there's such great work being done that most people don't know about. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's a great insight is because is because it makes people realize that it makes people realize that there's great stuff out there and um, 
it's humbling. It's humbling because mm-hmm. it makes you realize, oh yeah, this thing is good, but that doesn't mean I'm gonna be swoop, swept up today by you know. Uh, right. By it's not Broadway. gonna go to Broadway. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It does. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's not successful. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. It's exactly yeah. right. The best times I've had like the best plays I've seen and the best theater experiences I've seen probably like you guys probably like a lot of people listening to this are the thing that you know you thought was going to be terrible that your friend gave you a free ticket to and it turned out to be this mind-blowing personal thing that you watched and you walk away with thinking I mean I could count way more wonderful enjoyable experiences that I saw for five dollars that I didn't Mm -hmm. expect to see anything good this thing I used to go to all the time when I was like 15, 16 was called the Bindlestiff Family Circus, which was like this weird downtown thing. <laughs> Very few people were there. Okay. And the jokes in it, it was like this kind of real sideshowy circus, people yeah. swallowing swords and everything. But the comedy and the music were so unbelievably brilliant, better than 90% of Broadway shows mm-hmm. that you would see. And you just think like, wow, wait, if this is down there and that's on Broadway and this thing sucks on Broadway and this thing is amazing down there, then it doesn't mean that... For some, it doesn't mean that my thing has to be on Broadway for it to be considered successful. Exactly. I think that's the that's that's the kind of I would say thesis takeaway yeah. for me that's comforting. And yeah. not everything. I mean, Broadway is a big part of like the like the details and the semantics of Broadway is the amount of seats that are in the house, which is how that's you can really, call it a Broadway yeah. house and the funding that of it course. brings in. Um, but like off Broadway, I worked at the West Side Theater doing the other Josh Cohen for six months mm. and. It, like, was selling out all the time, and it was going great, but, like, not enough people knew about it. I had friends, you know, because it was open over the holidays, so, of course, tourism was at a high. And I had friends who were like, what should I go see? And I was like, come see my show. We're only, like, $30 rush tickets. It was, I was so surprised by how fun that show was. I know, it it was just fun, but honestly, it needed that intimate, small space to really work, because it's set in a one-bedroom New York apartment. Like, if you're on a Broadway stage, how do you make... An right. itty bitty crappy New York apartment. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And but and it's interesting because you do see shows that go from off Broadway like giant smash hits and then they go into Broadway and they just don't they don't land right because right. they can't produce the right audience. Like off Broadway is great. If you're in college and you visit New York, like go see off Broadway shows because you're gonna be able to right. afford a lot more. Yeah. And you're gonna see new works. And that was like always the cool thing in high school and college was to be like, hey, I know about this work before you did. Like, mm-hmm. I remember learning about Spring Awakening right, right when it came out. Right. And like, I'm so cool. Of course, Nobody of course, knows about course. this naughty show. Yeah. What we did, <laughs> the first show I worked on in New York was um, Jerry Springer, The Opera. <laughs> oh, right. And that was crazy. Buck wild. Like, it was so fun, though. And it was, a, that's probably my favorite show I've worked on because it was so wild and yeah. zany and it just like. absurd. Yeah, and absurd. I saw, I saw but it was. Oh, yeah. oh you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I remember Remember someone going? Like, what did you do? I was just a dresser. Right, I was so I remember. Dresser. So you yeah. had very, very strange things to do. Very. I put yeah. a diaper on a person. That's right. <laughs> that was me. Man. I was like, "Let's get your diaper on." That's but right. it was. It was. They're probably like, "What?" Yes, a lot well, of. It's it, a generational thing. I yeah. honestly didn't know who Jerry Springer was until I was oh, like really? going to see. No, it, I grew up in a humble town in Colorado. A small town in a very loving family. Okay. Very familiar with Arthur and Friends. Got it. Oh, you know, I played like, <laughs> I played hooky a lot and just watched daytime no, television. I had no so idea who Jerry Springer yeah. was or like what crazy stuff. Wait, it was How old are you? 25. Yeah, that's also right. Cuz yeah, yeah, Jerry Springer's a little Are you He's, also 25? No, I'm 30. Okay, so yeah. 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 Now our audience knows. <laughs> oh, Surprise, okay? the bail no. is broken. No, no. I'm kidding. Yes. Are they for all and they know with how much we talk about our cats, they could think we're like 50 years old. Oh, got it. I see. I see. Right, I see. yeah. Right. Yeah. They're probably like, these poor women. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least they have each 
other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like, bless their hearts. And they're cats. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, it's one of those things. Uh, it was small, and I think we got off track, so I'm going to um, stop talking about yeah. it. But that's fine. But um, Broadway is great, and I think that like your shows have still had because we Haley read the revisionist and gave me the spark notes, and okay. I was reading the spoils, and like they're still so cool to read, and like oh, reading about like where they've been. Happy Talk was off Broadway and very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just exciting because you did get to work in a smaller place, so you weren't really pandering to yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah. Broadway audience. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, I mean, after I finished Happy Talk, I thought, oh, maybe this, because it's about an older woman, could maybe transfer. Well, the, um, the, uh, the revisionist and the spoiled both had, both had Broadway theaters and oh, okay. were like, the spoils was, uh, the night they were putting out the press release for the Broadway show. I was editing the press release when I got called that it's not happening. Oh, like they were putting wow. out the press release the next day. Uh, the revisionist, we had a theater too. And then, uh, it's not complicated, but, uh, we had yeah, a it's, it's so much yeah. politics. But so much. Both of my last, uh, so my two previous plays before mm-hmm. Happy Talk were both scheduled to go to Broadway. Everything was there, financing wow. producers. Anyway, for example, that's the I know, I'm like, that's why we want to talk to a producer. Cause we're like, right. how does funding yeah. work? Why do you ruin what lives? Are yeah. yeah, on closing of Jerry, the one of the producers for the new group was like, "We really want this to go to Broadway. We just don't have a theater." Yeah, yeah and yeah. that was it. Like, it, oh yeah, it, no, I had theaters. Yeah, no. oh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, 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 no. like, no, hey, my heart was yeah, broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. If I run into somebody who listens to this podcast, then I will tell them personally. But I don't want to <laughs> tell them over that. I don't want to be recorded. No, but about yeah, but it's just so wild. But that's the, the other part of the process. Yeah. <laughs> No, 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 and it's shocking. It's oh, shocking. it's he's <laughs> just yeah. heartbroken. Dying over yeah. that. I'm so heartbroken for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that was down the. Yeah. That hot chocolate went down yeah. wrong. Uh, um. All right. I kind of want to make a left turn. Okay. Because okay. we were talking about it. Dang it. <clears throat> we were talking about it last night of how it sounds funny, but you write really, you write women really well, okay. and it's like women that I resonate with that I know and they don't feel like tropes or mm. stereotypes mm. I yeah because I feel like writing a narcissist can be very challenging in the way of like making her empathetic right and right, the right. scene with yeah. us with her daughter with Lorraine's daughter this is happy talk audience members um mm-hmm. <laughs> um I felt for her like of and course. I totally understood where the daughter was coming from too and right. it was such it was that was kind of when I started texting her being like yo I'm like really feeling this show uh-huh. but it was just like that scene was so interesting because I didn't really blame either of them but exactly, I was also yeah. like they're right. both dicks mm-hmm. in their own right. way and exactly, yeah. not only that but you've written different not only different genders obviously Jesse is a male sure. um, but you've written different races and different mm-hmm. backgrounds and different ages what kind of research resources do you pull from or mm-hmm. research do you do or who do you talk to to make these characters feel more rooted, realistic? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I, I am obsessed with just listening to the way people speak, um, including my parents, including you know people I know and, and strangers. Um, I end up talking to a lot of people because people approach me on the street because they recognize me from movies, and so I end up yeah. having conversations with people that I am not that are not in my circle, so mm-hmm. to speak. You know, people that are like strangers to me and come from different places and different countries and everything. So I get to meet a lot of people that maybe other people don't. You know, can't just approach somebody on the street. Right. So I have this unusual advantage. So that's part of it. Is like I actually and my degree in school was anthropology. It's my wife's oh. degree as well. So we're interested in different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I'm just kind of obsessed with listening to how people speak. 
Uh, in terms of writing other, it's 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 a little riskier writing from other races and stuff and other countries. But each mm -hmm. of my plays have had an immigrant in them, mm -hmm. and it's because um, well, and and it's and it's oh, and those are usually based on people I know very specifically. My friend uh, Kalyan, who's Nepalese, I wrote it based on him. The spoils oh, okay. is based on him. Right. Uh, the revisionist um, uh, uh, Vanessa Rigger is playing my second cousin. Mm -hmm. uh, Kunal Nair was playing. Kalyan, um, and then in this last play, um, Marin Ireland was playing uh, trying to, a combination of people I know who are Serbian, and so mm -hmm. so I, those I, I know people. I would never write about a country or a person that I didn't know from another country because I don't think I'd be able to get that right. Right. Uh, that's a little riskier. Um, yeah. No, it's that whole write what you know. Write what you know, and if you want to write, uh, yeah. And there's actually another great adage, which is like write the thing that excites you. So like for example. My, when I, I grew up, oh, this is maybe great advice, actually. This is, like, probably better. This is probably, like, more practical than <laughs> yeah. anything else I've said so far. <laughs> I grew up, like, my, I have great, wonderful parents, smart people. You know, they're academics. But um, I grew up what I would consider kind of sheltered in New Jersey, just based on the town I lived yes. in. I grew up in New, Jer um, in New Jersey, and there was not people from other places, really, and I was not really interested in the outside world. Then I met my now wife and the first time I ever left the country she said I'm going to Venezuela or the first time I w went on like a vacation she's like I'm leaving the country uh, um, over Christmas this was like in 2003 she's like I'm leaving the country over Christmas I'm going to Venezuela and I said what the hell is Venezuela uh, she's <laughs> like um, it's in South America and I'm going there over Christmas you can come with me or not we were dating I was like yeah of course I'm coming with you what are yeah. you talking about you're gonna meet right. somebody else and we'll never see you again <laughs> so I went to Venezuela. This was actually sorry. It must have been two thousand four. It was during this uh, Mallory. You would probably have no recollection of this. I, I, I remember two thousand four, just very differently. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you remember Arthur and friends were doing an yeah. episode about. Um, this was during the. It was the. It was the. Um, it was the uh, tsunami in the Indian Ocean. Yes. Like, you know, Sri, Sri Lanka, yeah. hit Thailand. Oh, I know history. All right, all like, right. We studied right. that in high school. Yes. Okay, got you. You studied that? Yeah. We oh yes, about, like, I guess natural I was disasters gone. and like geography. Oh, I well, I also have an Sorry. Arkansas right. education. So it was during so. the tsunami. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, so I and I we were in Venezuela, so I had already learned where Venezuela was, and I and there was a guy on the trip with me, this English guy Ian, and I said, "Where is where is Sri Lanka?" And he mm -hmm. goes, "You stupid American idiot!" He was British. He dragged me by the ear. There was a map on the wall because we were staying in this house there. Right. There was like a map on the wall, and he dragged me, and he said, "This is Thailand." This is Sri Lanka. This is the Indian Ocean, you ignorant American prick. And like, I was Whoa. so shocked. And I went home from Venezuela, Venezuela, which was like, which was a country that I'd never, I'd never seen yeah. poverty before. I went mm -hmm. there, went home, and the first thing I did was bought a National Geographic world map, and I put it on the, I put it on my wall, and I just studied the map, and I studied every country, and I read country news for, like, I read country profiles for everybody on BBC and CIA website, and I studied country news. And I just, it changed my entire world. And all of my plays have been about international issues. They're mm -hmm. all about yeah. an immigrant experience in America. And so it's not really writing, it's writing what I know, yes, but it's also writing the thing I aspire to know, which is like, I'm so desperate to understand. And my degree at the, I was yeah. also studying anthropology at the time. So I was studying anthropology, the study of other cultures, people in different places. Yeah. And so um, I was kind of, I'm, I'm kind of writing more of what I aspire to know rather than what I already know. Mm -hmm. If I was writing about what I already know, I'd write, I'd write about a Jewish kid from New Jersey who wants to go on a date. And to me, it's just, well, <laughs> I've seen that play a million times, seen that and it doesn't excite me. I don't sit down there, and I'm not excited by that. Mm -hmm. I, I know it too well, and I'm frankly also, this is going to sound um, kind of, this is going to sound kind of phony, but I'm not, I don't really want audiences to know that that's what I'm thinking. 
Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I thought when I was a kid. Yeah. What I want audiences to know that I'm thinking is that I'm thinking about these broader things. So in a way, I'm writing a thing that I kind of want the audience to know that I'm thinking. So in a way, you're kind of impressing people, right? right. So this is kind of a motivation. But what I do in my plays is put usually an ignorant American in there. Yep. In fact, all my plays have a kind of ignorant American yeah. character in there. And so I'm kind of... A, writing what I want an audience to think I think about, and B, admitting to them that I'm an ignorant person. And so all my plays are the dichotomy between the thing that I want people to think about me and the thing that I actually am. And so all my four plays have actually been all about those things in different forms. And so it, you should write what you know, but also write the thing that excites you. You know, I love NBA basketball, and so I'm trying to write this thing, and it's just not coming out, but I'm trying to write this thing... I've been trying to write it for like five years, which is just about a guy who, like a guy like me, you know, um, but, uh, you know, um, but who befriends like an NBA player and just that very strained relationship where like my character is just desperate to be. But, but so I'm, and I'm trying to write that, but because it's like, I feel like it excites me every day. I want to sit yeah. down there and it means I'm going to go on NBA websites and research it while right. I'm writing. Right. And that whole process really excites me. Anyway, so that's the other thing. Write what you know, but also write about the thing that excites you. You know, if you want to be a funny person and you want people to laugh at you, write jokes. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. that'll inspire you every day to get up and write that stuff because you want people to think you're funny. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's so cool. I love hearing you talk about writing. It's just something that, like, I'm not familiar with. Mm. I've never gotten a chance to have any sort of relationship with the writers of the new works that I've worked on. Are they not there that much? No, no, no. They're, they're a lot. It's just that they don't usually bridge that gap. You know, they're in the house, they're working with the designers oh, and the yeah. actors, mm-hmm. and then the information gets filtered down to us as technicians. Got it. There's not really that connection. Mm-hmm. But it, I felt more invested in Happy Talk, even though I did not do much of anything. Um, I still felt very invested in that show, and I felt very aware of it because I had heard you speak about it and mm. had a chance to talk to you and then right. talk to Marin and Susan and Teddy and Nico and Dan, if we're talking about all five of them. Mm. Um, Can I say something yeah. about that? So I knew you at the show, mm-hmm. and um, this is something. So I work on movies and I work on plays. Mm-hmm. When I would, chances are not know you on a movie. Right. Um, there's something about theater that if people are listening to this and want to have a life in the theater, in my opinion, there's nothing better. It doesn't pay anything, but you, you know. <laughs> but if you can kind of if you can if you can find a way to make it work or you know. Mm-hmm. marry a rich person or get run over by a car and sue them. Oh, um, the dreams. I know. The I know. dreams of the city. <laughs> Knock on wood. Um, no, but like, if, if you, but, but it's a totally different experience. So, uh, but if people are listening to this and thinking about a life in, in, in movies or, or theater, uh, let me just plug theater, which is that my analogy always is this. When you're working on a movie, it's like being on a yacht with people. You're in different staterooms. You have different floors. You don't, you don't, you know, you run into people, but you kind of pass them. When you're working on a play with somebody, it's like being on a life raft with them. Everybody's there. You're kind of worried all the time that you're a real kind <laughs> of like, but you have to band together. <laughs> yeah, and you, know, you have absolutely. to share the food. And so, like, um, so that is my plug for the theater community. Be and on a life raft. What's that? Be on a, Be life, on a life raft. raft. Yeah. And, and like, you and I got to talk during the play. Like, the writers of a movie would never be speaking to anybody else. No. It's just it's yeah. just a stratified industry. And I, I hate that about movies because what I love about theater is the community aspect of it. Right. Yes. I just love it. Well, and it is because, like, you know that I am there to support you in your vision and keep the integrity exactly. after you leave. Like, I don't want the show to crumble. And yeah. it's it was just very kind of you to take a moment and be like, I recognize that you're a part of this too, and we were. It was a small group. It's of not people kind. It's my favorite part of it. Which is yeah. freaking awesome but because yeah, we we I've worked with yeah. so many people who, who like are I will introduce myself to the director because I keep getting notes about a quick change or a costume, and it'd be like, 
hi, I'm Mallory. I'm in charge of wardrobe. And they'll be like, L- like I could have been a rando on the street and they would have not known the difference. Oh. And so just that creating, oh. Oh, I almost think bad. of like the stage yeah. is the no man's land, yeah, yeah, you exactly. know, and then you got the north and the south or whatever. Right, of course. That's a good analogy. And it's so hard to remember to cross those borders. That's a good analogy. On whichever yeah, side of the border you're on. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. it sometimes gets a little taxing to be in such a small space and people kind of like not necessarily acknowledge mm-hmm. or that you are part or, yeah. or know what you do. But that's right. very, but that's a thing that's. Again, that's kind of why I wanted this podcast to even be created, was mm-hmm. to give people who don't necessarily get to talk about mm-hmm. what they do a voice. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, I will say, also, like, um, I was assistant stage manager for a friend of mine, Brian Westmoreland. He's a stage manager. He does the t- Chicago tour now. and oh, also nice. subs, Oh, awesome. He subs at Phantom 2, actually. Oh, cool. um, and um, I was his assistant stage manager when I was, like, 15 years old. And <laughs> I just <laughs> loved it so much. And my favorite thing I've ever done on a play was run the light board, because I, I got to do the light board a few mm-hmm. times. And it was just the most fun thing. And it taught me, like... Theater is, I, I just love the community of theater so much, it mm-hmm. almost felt like irrelevant what I was doing, except when I'm going on stage, I have terrible stage fright. But otherwise, oh. I just enjoy the experience so much, backstage, the, you know, the time between shows, and the, I mean, it's just, I, just, I think there's like no greater community, and I think because people don't get paid that much, it just attracts people who really yeah. like it. You're doing yeah. it for the love. Yeah. You're doing for it for the, the love, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of fun to be mm-hmm. had backstage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's like some of my favorite moments or things that have happened backstage. I know we were like, we also just want a platform for us to tell all the shenanigans that we have been a part of. Oh, really? Because actors aren't the only ones who like have those memorable moments right, or those moments. anecdotes yeah. or course. whatever. Right. So we were like, let us tell you some stories. Of course. <laughs> yeah. That is good. Um, well, I, I think we hit all of our points. I think we hit all of our points. Okay. And then, see, this has been wonderful. Oh, yeah. thank you for having me. I'm yes. so happy you came. I, I think feel... your podcast is such a brilliant idea. I'm oh, so thank glad you. you thought of this. Yeah, yes. and we are so excited whenever whenever it comes down the pipeline to see what you do next. Thank yeah, you so much. It's been so cool to learn and like deep dive into your works. Anytime. Thanks for tuning in this week. You guys, if you enjoyed the episode, go ahead and write and subscribe. And you can find us on Instagram at Working in the Wings. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like for us to cover, shoot us an email at workinginthewings at gmail.com. See you soon. It's a Dapper Devil Productions, see?